0: Almost every TV depiction of modern healthcare shows patients receiving life-saving care from intravenous or IV infusions. You can see it, bags of fluid up on the poles and the tubing feeding fluid into the patient. But did you know that the first documented attempt at IV therapy was in 1492? Pope Innocent VIII had suffered a stroke, and the desperate doctor tried to infuse blood from three young boys into the Pope by joining all of their veins together. Now, unfortunately, all four died. The next attempt documented was in the 1660s in some dogs and also resulted in catastrophe. It wasn't until the early 1800s that successful transfusions of blood from human to human were reported. A bit later, cholera victims were rescued by saline infusions. But routine use of IV infusions via a plastic catheter really began right here at Mayo Clinic in 1950. The Rochester plastic needle, as it was called, was developed by Dr. David Massa and it revolutionized intravenous therapy. IV therapy allows the infusion of powerful drugs and fluids into patients when they're otherwise not able to ingest them, but getting the right flow rates and doses can be difficult. To help refine that, electronic infusion pumps have been developed, and in efforts to reduce human error... Many modern pumps contain small computers or are directly connected to the electronic health record to ensure that the right dose and infusion rates are delivered. But what happens when these advanced and complicated pumps fail? What if there's a mechanical or programming error? What then? Complex medical devices go through extensive development and testing before they're approved by the FDA, but obviously the process is not perfect. In fact, on average, about 4,500 different drugs and devices are pulled from the U.S. shelves every year. How would your hospital learn if a medical device has a problem? What happens when the FDA announces a safety recall? Who in your organization is notified, and what happens then? Now, if you work in healthcare and you don't know the answers to these questions, then you should listen to this podcast. We're going to talk with two patient safety experts who've been working with reports of IV infusion pump problems in our organization. How did they first learn about the problem? What happened across our large healthcare organization as the issue became known? How has the information been shared outside the organization? Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, and I'm the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. Co-hosting today's conversation is Sherry Nemec. Sherry?
1: Hello, and welcome to everyone joining us today. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. You know, Dr. Morgenthaler, you just posed some really interesting questions that I had really not considered before preparing for this podcast. So it'll be really interesting to dig into this topic further with our guest today.
0: I bet some of our listeners can easily relate to, you know, what happens when some brand of peanut butter is, is reported to not be safe anymore, right. or the aren't good. But, you know, in those cases, we kind of hear about it in the news, and it's sort of up to each person to figure out what to do. But in healthcare, that's certainly different. I mean, we're dealing with life and death situations. So today, we have two guests to help us discuss this, Joe Nino and Ann West. Joe is a manager in Mayo Clinic Patient Safety and works as part of our safety electronic systems oversight team Ann is the supervisor of quality operations over our Southwest Minnesota Mayo Clinic operations. And they both serve on our patient safety steering committee. Joe, could you just tell us a little bit about what is your current position? How long ago did you join Mayo? What types of things are you doing these days? Just tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dr. Morgenthaler. So joined Mayo about 15 years ago in the role of a, a patient safety analyst and I've served in various roles since then, being our patient safety EPIC liaison as we, we built and implemented a new EHR system and now our manager for our safety systems. So incident collection, event detection, those types of things within our system.
0: Super. and And, you know, maybe you could share a few of those same things with us.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My name is Ann West. I've uh, been at Mayo for 12 and a half years and I've served in a couple different roles, including surgical nurse manager and patient safety specialist. In addition to my current role as the quality manager, um, work with all things regulatory, quality aspects and patient safety aspects in patient care.
0: We're so glad to have you with us today and have experts in patient safety. There's a lot that we could discuss about recalls. Maybe we should just focus on Devices, you know, what happens when devices are found to be not working properly. And, you know, maybe we'll have to also talk about how do we find out when devices aren't working properly. So, Anne, maybe you could tell us how did you first get interested in this particular problem? Uh, Maybe some of your early experiences and how did you first start seeing it dealt with?
3: Sure. So our current problem involves infusion pumps. We began receiving safety events from our frontline staff and noticed a pattern through our voluntary patient safety reporting tool back in October of 2021. And the issues that were reported to us included upstream occlusion alarms, medications infusing either faster or slower than expected based on how the pumps had been programmed. And we're able to determine a commonality with the pump version and manufacturer and narrowed our focus to these sites with these pumps that had them in service. The vendor and the FDA did issue safety warnings back in January, February, and March of 2022, and the FDA did eventually issue a class one device recall in March of 2022. So it was a combination of both our internal reports and then these additional safety reports and recalls that really brought this to our attention.
0: Talk a little bit more about those internal safety reports. How did you all first become aware of these issues?
3: Yeah, so we have a patient safety reporting tool in which anyone who works at our organization is able to submit issues that they're having that either could potentially cause patient harm or have caused patient harm. And We have patient safety staff that monitor these on a daily basis, and we began putting them all together and talking amongst the different sites within our enterprise, and that's how we were able to determine that there was a bigger issue here in a pattern with those pumps. Unfortunately, this isn't the first time infusion pumps have not functioned as intended. So although these issues are not related, past history has caused confusion about contributing factors and frustration for our end users. Joe, do you want to share a little bit more about the other issues that we've experienced with these infusion pumps?
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Anne. So, you know, prior to this issue bubbling up, we had some issues with uh, Pump shutdowns, which ended up being um, some battery replacements and battery back replacements, but very similar to what Ann talked about, you know, utilizing our, our internal system to detect. And another thing I just wanted to point out was really us reaching out. So, you know, to Dr. Morgenthaler's point, we have the FDA and we have a recall process. But as a healthcare provider, we also have systems in place where we detect and we start to question and reach out to people like the FDA, where we can see if other reports have been entered, uh, you know, similar issues that other organizations are having. So really, it's a a collaborative effort between all of those sources.
0: You know, and it's so important that you mention that because one of the complaints that have been concerning the general public is that You know, as organizations do begin to suspect that uh, devices aren't working properly, you know, how does that word spread so that safety interventions can take place? So that's really important that you mentioned that. So you became aware that uh, we were probably having a pump issue with a certain brand, certain models. How did you get started then to uh, deal with the, the issues?
3: No, we knew based on past experience with widespread equipment issues that involved multiple sites that we needed to have a strategic way to both investigate and communicate our actions and next steps. In March of 2022, I was asked to be the key facilitator of an enterprise oversight team that we were in the process of developing. And the main focus of that team was to perform data analysis, develop a communication plan, mitigate risk, and engage in conversations with others internally and outside of Mayo Clinic related to this topic. Our core team for the enterprise oversight team consisted of representatives from HTM, pharmacy, patient safety, operations, nurse practice, engineering, and quality, so a very multidisciplinary group. And then we also reached out to the FDA and other outside organizations where we had clinical contacts to learn a little bit more about what their facilities were experiencing we developed a communication plan in which we would use designated representatives from each site and region to help with communication cascade as regular updates were sent out from our team. And this really helped to ensure that accurate information was being shared and helped with rumor control to kind of separate out what those past historical issues were versus what our current state issues were.
1: So you had an opportunity to bring a team of people together to try to help wrap your arms around this work. What were some of the big challenges, their interdependencies that you faced as you started addressing the issues?
3: Yeah, you know, a major skill for individuals working in patient safety and quality is our ability to define the problem and determine the root cause. So it's been challenging and frustrating as this particular issue with infusion pumps has been multifactorial and difficult to define. So we really tried to define the scope of the issue as it had immediate impact on many sites that were using the same equipment, but we have had to be heavily dependent on both the FDA and the manufacturer to drive next steps despite our best efforts to address the equipment issue ourselves. And our frontline staff using this equipment daily has grown increasingly more frustrated with the lack of quick solutions but there is no easy button for how to fix this problem. So that's probably our biggest challenge and just that dependence on external organizations in addition to our internal processes that we've put into place.
0: You you know, Anne, you you mentioned earlier something that really piqued my interest. You talked about controlling the rumors. I kind of remember as this situation was unfolding that there were a lot of people who had a lot of theories about what was and wasn't the issue and which pumps did and didn't work and under what circumstances. And I, I think I even remember there were some reports of well-meaning nurses and healthcare units kind of hoarding some pumps because they thought these ones were Talk a little bit more about just how challenging that can be and, and maybe how you went about trying to be transparent and proactive and manage that whole situation
3: there isn't one root cause that we've been able to pinpoint. So it's been a lot of ruling out other theories and then communicating that back to our audience and our frontline users to ensure that they know we're looking you know, and leaving no stones unturned, but also trying to really figure out is it user error? Is it something wrong with the pumps? Is it something with different types of medications or IV tubing? Again, just a lot of different things that could potentially contribute to these alarms and the infusion of these medications. So. I know it's been frustrating. It's been frustrating for our enterprise team as well as we've gone through, because we've had a couple of things that we thought, oh my gosh, we finally figured out what it was, only to roll that out later on as we gathered more information and did more data analytics. So it's been an extended project. There's again, no easy fix, but we've engaged in a lot of partnerships and learned a lot down the road here as we've gone through each step
2: yeah and i guess the only thing i would add to that and is you bring up a critical point dr morgenthaler about the rumor control and maybe some people trying their own own thing one off or you know the discovery period and really That's been critical not only to what we're talking about right now, but just in general is collecting the factual information. It's going through a controlled method of elimination and discovery. And so by creating this group like we have with Ann and myself, we can gather all that information and really go through and hit all those points and discover all those gaps, whether it's in the process, the device itself, et cetera, by involving all these multidisciplinary groups.
0: So as you've worked through this, you've got your patient safety experts, you've got people reporting events, you had, I think you mentioned biomedical engineering, looking at the pumps, you've got external collaborators. Which parts of this did you find the most challenging and which parts would you say are sort of a standard way that we operate now as we hear about other devices, you know, malfunctioning?
2: From my perspective, the challenge is we do have these standard recalls. So we put a plate process in place, where we're bringing in, you know, a core group, if you will, and what information to collect, we know what we're looking at, but each recall is just a little bit different. It impacts a little bit different group, uh, maybe groups within our organization. So there is no template you can go down and fill out each and every time, just because so many groups are intertwined, depending on what the device is and what the issue is and your stakeholders. Where would you say
0: we are now with regard to this particular pump project? What's the current state of this project?
3: As I mentioned earlier, we've learned a lot over the last year and a half as we've been engaging in this work. We continue to receive some safety events from frontline staff, and we've put some mitigation strategies in place to prevent patient harm. We've connected with several other external organizations and used our clinical contacts there to learn what challenges and problems and then what strategies they've used as well as uh, they're going down the same path that we are. And then we've stayed in really close contact with both the manufacturer and the FDA as well to keep this issue a top priority in their mind and to continue to push for solutions and answers. We have reached out to organizations like ECRI, which is an independent nonprofit organization that focuses on patient safety as well to engage them in this work and to see if they can contribute anything as far as getting closer to a solution as well. So, you know, it continues to be part of our everyday work our enterprise oversight team continues to meet weekly and we continue to assess our data and look for patterns, trends, and other things that might lead us to what that root cause may be.
1: Talk a little bit about uh, impact to whether Mayo Clinic, the staff, patients. What are you seeing? Uh,
2: sure. Good question, Sherry. So, aside from the obvious patient safety issues and the harm concern that we have, you know, we're also continually healthcare changes, we're updating technologies. And so really the impact is looking at new equipment that we bring in, maybe just from a different lens, having experienced this and gone through these, what we can take and learn from this and, and how we select and utilize new devices and what we bring in. And I think the other piece and and, and hit on this a little bit, the impact to staff is just the trust in the devices and trust in the process. Things don't always seem to be moving forward, especially at at the pace we always want them to. And so it's important to have that communication plan in place so staff know that, that this really is being addressed. We really do have a plan in place. We are making progress. And then periodically updating just to make sure that staff are engaged and and do have faith in that process. So what do you think are the next
0: steps on this project?
3: We have uh, gotten smarter about how to go about our next steps, so For the next software update that the manufacturer is offering us, we are bringing in loaner pumps to decrease the impact on patient care, learning from previous software updates that they've done that pulling out each pump individually from patient care areas is very difficult to do. It causes shortages. It causes anxiety for frontline staff and for our supply chain folks and logistics folks. So getting smarter about how to strategically get this work done with minimal impact to our staff and and our patient care areas. We'll continue to monitor our safety events. Those are really important. We're looking for decreases or increases in the safety events related to infusion pumps as these different interventions are being implemented. So, you know, continuing to analyze that data and then continuing those partnerships with both internal groups and external groups. So obviously we're not the only
1: or healthcare organization that's faced with this or even related type of issues. So, what you've been through, what you've learned along the way, any particular advice or things for people to stay mindful of or recommendations for others that are trying to manage the same kind of issue?
2: Yeah, I think really that detection system and the process that we've talked about in place. You know, uh, healthcare is more and more every day technologically dependent. So we have improvements, advancements on technology, and all of that is great. Our safety is increasing, but we also have to be in a position where we can identify those issues and then react. So whether it's an isolated issue or being able to see the signals of when it's not isolated and we need to look more broadly and beyond that. So again, internally and and then we have those external recalls we need to be able to respond to as well.
0: And Joe, again, thinking of organizations that may not have quite as many resources as we do with all of you safety specialists and so forth. What would you say are the key components of the organizational system to be able to detect and respond to these events, obviously voluntary reports by the medical staff when they see something going wrong is important. But beyond that, what are the kind of essential elements you think need to be in place?
2: Yeah, I think regardless of the the size of an organization, being able to get all those issues to a person or group of people consistently, I know that was one of the challenges, you know, we even faced in a large organization because we have manufacturer representatives and we have FDA recall emails coming in to people who work in specific departments. And so really coordinating that and letting all your staff know that, we have somebody that can help with that. It's not a CNA or or someone getting a, a notification and they're having to go out and find all the equipment and find the numbers. It's just having that consistency where it goes one place and then can be spread from beyond that.
0: So really what you're saying is there has to be sort of a centralized location, individual group role that has responsibility for sort of aggregating these reports So that you don't have seven people in your organization responding differently and centralization and coordination are the key issues. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then everybody knows who that person or place is, would be the other secondary part of that. Yeah. Uh,
0: Any other thoughts about this uh, particular pump issue? I mean, what do you view as the end game here? Is this going to get resolved or is this just an evolutionary process as new devices and programs and things come out? What do you think is the end game of this?
3: Well, that's a great question. <laughs> I think if we knew the answer to that, we uh, maybe wouldn't be having this conversation. But, you know, I think it's helping us, as Joe mentioned earlier, to look at future pump selection. We're also looking at ways that pumps can integrate with our electronic health record. So, you know, being mindful of how these pumps work, each pump has their pros and cons. So just making sure that we're aware of what those are and how that might impact our, our patient care. So we're going to become smarter as we go through our next contract and, and look for our next uh, manufacturer to work with. But I think also there's going to be more changes coming with our current pumps that we're using, and we're just going to have to go with those and, and continue down this path. Uh, we've got another year left on our current contract. So we'll see what this next software upgrade brings and see if it's effective or not. And if it's not effective, we'll continue to use the same mitigation strategies that we have in the past.
0: Fantastic. Well, this is a huge topic. We've kind of focused on one particular device, but I think there's a lot of lessons learned here. We could talk a lot more, but I think we have come to the end of our podcast. We're really glad you guys could join us and hope that the information that you all have shared is insightful and helpful to other organizations. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key Into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations that we all serve. Please let others in your organization know about this podcast so the information can be spread and share your ideas about this podcast with us so that we can continue to serve you and improve our podcast. Until next time, so long.